And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it is Tuesday already. Already the, the month, the year. It's already under roll. Going right past us. So here we are Tuesday Already kind of heading into midweek, and uh, markets are doing as expected. Of course, this is the first five days of January. Markets up yesterday, so uh, that's good. Economic news continues to be very light right now. Not a lot going on, but as we get into the next couple of weeks, we're going to start to see a lot of the December economic reports. Now, these are reports that we'll see which will wrap up the fourth quarter. Now, expectations for economic growth in the fourth quarter continue to be pretty hot. Uh, the Atlanta Fed currently has the fourth quarter pegged around 7% annualized, so it's a fairly strong rate of growth. Uh, blue chip analysts are closer to about 4%, but nonetheless, we're going to see a fairly strong print for the fourth quarter of the economy because that was kind of the wrap-up of a lot of the fiscal stimulus that we had coming into the markets in 2021. Now, without the Build Back Better plan, the extension to child tax credits, all these other things that were in that plan, um, at the moment, those stimulus credits are now running out. So as we begin to look into the first quarter of 2022 and start talking about economic growth, that's going to start to show some signs of weakness as a lot of the buying pressure that was in the markets, of course, has now started to wane a bit. And, and this really has, has, has had a lot of effects on different areas of the, of the economy, as we've you know, been dealing with here for the last several months. Uh, the supply chain disruptions um, have been a big problem. Can't get the things that you want, right? You go to the store right now, there's uh, you know, empty shelves on some items. You just can't get what you want. And this is because we provided the people a lot of excess capital. They went out and bought a lot more stuff. And of course, with the economy kind of shut down because of the pandemic, we weren't producing as much. So that supply demand imbalance led to shortages and higher prices. Um, auto sales, as a good example, used car sales. Used car sales right now are up about 38% from where they were uh, pre-pandemic. So in other words, you're paying 38% more for a used car than you were pre-pandemic. Now, are used cars worth 38% more? No. It's just simply that there's no used cars available for sale. So if you want one, you're going to have to pay a premium for one. That's supply versus demand. That's where we are within the economic cycle right now. Now, that will reverse. That won't stay this way forever. Used cars prices are now not permanently 38% higher than they were. Eventually, that will reverse. Why will that reverse? Well, as the problem is now, people, because of their income, can't qualify to buy a used car at current prices. So there's a gonna be a reversion of demand from a couple of different sources. One will be lack of money coming in to spend less liquidity as these programs and excess benefits run off. The second thing is, is people simply can't afford things, so they stop buying them. And then supply catches up with the demand. Then you get the reversal effect which is where then demand begins to swamp your, uh, sorry, your supply begins to swamp your demand, and now you get deflationary pressures. Now, this is going to be one of the challenges for the Fed over the course of the next year. 
They're talking about raising uh, uh, rates right now. There's a 76% probability the Fed will raise rates four times in 2022. They're expecting a lot of, they, they're expecting this inflation that we're seeing in the economy to remain very persistent all year long. Now, that may be the case, that may not be the case, and, and we'll see. We're already starting to see some thawing of the supply chain disruptions. We're starting to see supply times start to come down. We're starting to see supplier delivery times uh, start to revert back to more normal levels. So as that occurs, you're going to have a deflationary pressure in prices as supply catches up with waning demand. So this is going to be an interesting year as we move forward because there's so many unknowns about the things that we're going to be dealing with. And this is kind of the topic of our Technically Speaking report today on the website, talking about the risk to 2022 and looking ahead for that because there's a lot of things that have been tailwinds for us for the last several uh, last couple of years in particular that are now going to reverse. Keep a watch on supply chains. That's really the key to a lot of this stuff and, and that we're going to be talking about. And this is going to be a kind of a, a, a consistent topic probably for most of this year is talking about the reversal of inflation to deflation, slower economic growth, and a reversal in earnings expectations as margins begin to get compressed because of lack of demand as well as lack of liquidity in markets as a lot of these stimulus benefits fade away. Now, this is all predicated on the idea that we're not going to have a lot more benefits coming in. Of course, you know, if the economy slips into a recession or, um, you know, worse, we have a, another variant and somebody does decide to shut down the economy and we have another big surge of stimulus, that's going to change the dynamic of, of the conversation. But right now, if we expect everything to kind of remain status quo, a lot of the tailwinds that we saw over the last two years will now begin to fade as we get into 2022. So just keep a watch on that. That's something that we're going to talk about a lot this year um, as we go forward. The market yesterday rallied back to basically pushing back up into its very overbought condition. Again, we're still in a buy signal, nothing to worry about here. No reason to really make a change. Um, we're looking for an opportunity to launch a new portfolio here uh, in the next month or two. So what we need is for this overbought condition to reverse a normal kind of correctionary period in the markets, maybe sometime in February or March. Um, we get that correction, we'll launch a new uh, momentum-based portfolio that we're looking at. So again, just kind of looking for the, the right opportunity to put that money to work. But again, just keep a watch here. You know, markets are doing well. Apple yesterday, the first company ever in history to hit a $3 trillion market cap. Now, you know, that's pretty incredible. Um, considering that Apple was just a $1 trillion company um, as we got into 2022. So, you know, as we, uh, sorry, in 2020, um, and as the markets were kind of, you know, coming off that March 2020 low, we saw that Apple expanded their price. Again, we've seen that, we've talked about this over the course of the last two years, that the market has consistently been hiding cash in stocks like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, the top 10 stocks have made up about 65% of the overall move in the market. So it's been a place where capital's been hiding. And the question really is, is that $3 trillion market cap and doubling that valuation in just two years, can earnings growth catch up to that valuation? Of course, that's gonna be one of the key issues here. If you take a look at earnings per share, if you take a look at growth per share, et cetera, 
um, a lot of that valuation that's been built into the market has been supported by massive rounds of share buybacks. Apple's been a very prolific buyer of their own shares. Of course, that benefits insiders and also suppresses the valuation. So again, you know, while their valuation may not seem as expensive as a $3 trillion market cap, a lot of that has been a, an effect of these massive share buybacks that Apple's been involved in. So again, uh, just kind of a, a symbol of where we are in the economy. Um, tripling your valuation in two years has really been coincident with also the surge of liquidity, both on a global basis from central banks, as well as investors over the last two years, and particularly chasing these large cap stocks. Well, when we come back from the break, uh, we're getting into our investor resolutions for 2022. This is something that we do on an annual basis, but it's always a good reminder about the things we should be doing and the processes and resolutions that we should be following uh, to manage our money better. We'll talk about that after the break. I'm Gail Science Roberts for The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, 617 as we get this uh, morning underway. Um, a little bit of history um, to get into before we talk about resolutions. Um, back in my early 20s, um, I used to build health and fitness facilities. And so these were these, you know, kind of big, sprawling, you know, 15, 20,000 square foot facilities with, you know, all the equipment and everything. And we catered to corporate um, clients as well as individuals. And, you know, that was an interesting business. And the and, and the, yes, just hold on with me for a second. There actually is a relationship between building gyms and investor resolutions. Uh, um, but it's an interesting business because at any given time, I could only have so many people inside of a facility, right? You know, fire codes, and but there was only so much equipment inside the gym. So, you know, I couldn't have 5,000 members in the gym all at the same time. Now, I never, but I never had a cap on the number of memberships I could sell, right? So if, my, if the capacity of my gym is only X, then there should be only X number of memberships to sell. Based on the number of hours that were open, there should be a maximum capacity, but it doesn't work that way. The reason that gyms can sell indefinitely <laughs> memberships is because memberships to gyms are a very lucrative item. 
Have you ever wondered why you can't go to a gym and just pay five bucks to work out? Because it'll mess up their, their metrics. And what I mean by that is, is that what gyms depend on is the recurring billing on your credit card or your bank statement. What do gyms know that you don't? Well, actually, you do know this, but gyms know it better than anybody else. And that is that you're going to sign up, you're going to come to the gym for a week, and then you're going to quit coming. And I'm going to keep billing you. And you're going to forget about that bill hitting your credit card or your bank statement for a couple of months because you have every intent in the world. Yeah, you know, you were going for a couple of weeks. You know, it's New Year's, right? So every New Year's, we all make the resolution that, well, we're going to get in shape and we're going to go to the gym. We're going to eat better. We're going to do all these things, right? So we start out. And gyms, gyms are terrible in the first month of the year. They're packed. They're crowded. You know, it's just everybody's doing their New Year's thing. By February, there's nobody at the gym. And I keep billing you. And I bill you in March. And you get the bill and you see it. You're like, How, I'm, I'm gonna, you know what? Monday I'm going back to the gym. And you don't. And I bill you again the next month. And next month you say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to get back. To, I really need to go to work. And see, this becomes a guilt complex with you. You see that charge on your billing statement. And you know you should be going to the gym and doing better for your health. And so now it's become a penalty. Right. And you're going to leave that charge there to punish yourself because you're not doing what you know you should be doing, which is going to the gym. And people will let that charge sit on their bank statement for months, even years before they eventually finally give up and cancel the membership. That's why the gym business is very lucrative. Love that business. Just bill people and give them no service whatsoever. It's awesome. Right. There's no other business in the world that you can get away with that in. Right. Every other business like ours, you know, now is is all service based. We've got to give our clients service 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what we provide. You need us. We're here. The gym business is that way. <laughs> it's great. Now, what does that have to do with resolutions? The point about resolutions is this, is that we all make resolutions at the beginning of the year and we say, hey, we're going to do all these great things. We're going to go to the gym. We're going to eat better. We're going to take better care of ourselves. We're going to, you know, go to church more often. Whatever it is, right? We all make our resolutions. Unfortunately, we don't do a very good job of adhering to them. We may do it for a little while, but we do a very poor job overall. I'm not saying everybody about sticking to them. And there's some reasons for that, right? In order for a resolution to become attainable, it has to become a habit. And to make it a habit, it has to be something that can fit within your lifestyle, something that you do almost automatically. It's not something that you have to think about. It's not something that you've got to go make special provisions for. It's just got to be a function of something, right? Brent will tell you, every day I do the show, I get off the show, I do some work, but at 8 o'clock, I head down to the gym and work out every day. It's my routine, right? And don't mess with my routine. Do not call me to schedule a meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning, right? Don't mess with my routine. I'm, I'm, I'm available for you the other 23 hours of the day, but not from 8 to 9 o'clock because it's just habit. My diet is a function of habit. 
how I eat, what I what I what I prepare, etc. It's all part of a habit. And that's the only and look, and that's just me, but that's the only way that I can make it happen. If I don't have that habit, I won't stick to the resolution, right? So this is the function of when it comes down to investing is that your investing resolutions also have to become habit in how you manage your money. So in today's uh, daily commentary, if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, click on our daily commentary link at the top of the page, subscribe uh, to that. It's free. Uh, just stick in your email address. We'll send you our daily market commentary every morning before the, the bell opens. But we actually listed our 2022 investor resolutions. And these are simple, right? Do more of what's working, less of what isn't. The one, you know, it sounds easy, but it's the one thing that we don't do nearly enough of. We tend to stick with things that aren't working, continue to do things that don't work well, and ignore the things that are working well. Do the things that work well better, your overall portfolio will be better. Remember that the trend of the market's your friend. It's something that we want to fight. It's a natural habit to want to fight the trend of the market, but don't. Importantly, be either bullish or bearish. You can make money being bullish. You can make money being bearish. But uh, eventually, if you're piggish, you're going to get slaughtered. And this is the important facet of investing over time is to not get greedy. Remember, it's okay to pay taxes. I've seen too many people avoid selling something because they don't want to pay taxes and they wind up turning a winner into a loser. Maximize profits by staging buys. In other words, you don't have to buy everything all at once. You can nibble into something over time, let it work for you, keep, keep adding up into the position. Look for damaged opportunities, not damaged investments. Just because something's gone down a lot in price doesn't mean it's a good buy. There are companies that get hit for an unexpected reason, a very short-term dynamic to their business, whatever it is. That's a damaged opportunity, and that's probably worth buying. Um, we saw that happen a couple of times last year with Abbott as an example in our portfolio. Uh, stock had big, big fall-offs because of very short-term blips on news items. Didn't change their business model at all. Those were great buying opportunities. Um, diversify your portfolio to control risk, but that does not mean buy stuff that is just underperforming. Diversification is a function of diversifying between winners, not diversifying into losers. That goes a long way into the conversation about rebalancing. Rebalancing is a poor strategy over time because you wind up selling your winners to buy losers. Um, control risk is important. One thing that investors don't do well, we talked, we touched on this yesterday, you know, whether we drive or whether we um, jump out of an airplane or whatever it is, we always have safety precautions. You know, playing football, we wear pads, right? So, you know, no matter playing baseball, we wear a helmet when we're batting. The reason is, is because there's risk of, of injury. And so we take precautions to prevent injury. When it comes to investing, we don't do that. But we should. So always have a stop loss when you buy something. You know, have, have measures of risk avoidance. Control the risk in your portfolios and you're going to win long term. Do your homework is always important. The one thing we don't do nearly enough is do research. We just buy stuff because we hear about it on CNBC. Learn to do some research. At least understand the basic dynamics of what you're buying into. And more importantly, understand what the company does. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people buy companies and I go, well, what do they do? And they're like, I don't know. Stock price is going up, though. Understand what the company does. Understand what you're buying. 
Don't allow panic to influence your decisions. The one thing that we do poorly is that when things start going against us, we tend to panic and do things in a hurry without really thinking things through. Sometimes the best thing to do is just to turn off the computer for a few minutes, go sit down, think about what's going on, and try to make a reasonable, rational decision based on fundamentals, doing some homework. Uh, but don't let panic, don't let an emotional-driven decision handle your trade because ultimately you're wind up making a bad trade more often than not expect to be wrong you know this is one thing that we do poorly as investors is that when we're wrong we fail to admit we're wrong and because we don't want to admit that we were wrong right i mean that's just kind of human nature is like i'm not wrong you know this stock's gonna ultimately be a great company um, when you're wrong, you're wrong. And everybody's going to be wrong in eventually in investing. And so this goes to the very heart of, you know, the rule of cut losers short, let your winners run. When you're wrong, you're wrong. Doesn't mean you can't ever buy that stock again. Um, one of the things I've always found interesting is people will sell a stock and then they're convinced that they've now joined been, or that they've been, you know, kind of pushed into this corner where they are never allowed to buy that stock back. That's not the case. If you buy something wrong and it goes down in price, sell it. And then once it settles down, forms a new base, buy it back. Just because you bought it wrong doesn't mean you can't buy it again. Be flexible in your strategy. And most importantly, turn off the television. Not the radio show, just the television. <laughs> Seriously, though, uh, watching the media is a terrible way to manage your portfolio and it's one of the things that's going to drive you into making emotional decisions when i'm working during the day i don't have television on um you know so you know we have we have cnbc on in the studio right now only so i can kind of see what's happening with market futures but once i get off the show no more of that because i want to focus on doing my homework making the right decisions managing my risk that's what matters in portfolio management not what you hear on the television be right back after the break investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see and money tips you need to know in the new year Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So just kind of really kind of going through our investor resolutions, the, the key to... Again, you know, and you know, any type of resolution, whether it's an investor resolution or whether it's just a resolution in life, right? I mean, you know, every year we all set out with our resolutions. You know, we're going to get, like I said, get in shape, eat better, whatever it is. We're going to be healthier this year. You know, it's a function of making habits. And, you know, it's easy to tell you what you should do in terms of managing your money. But the reality is, is that you've got to form habits. 
And that takes time and it takes patience. And, you know, in a market that seemingly just kind of goes up in value every day, it's hard to form good habits. And this is really the challenge that a lot of investors deal with. It's, but if, but Lance, you know, if I employ risk management, that means I may not make as much as the market. That's true, right? That's, that's the point of risk management. Is to control the risk of losing a lot of money. And in order to do that, you've got to potentially give up some of the upside. Not necessarily all of it, but some of it. But this is the thing that, you know, we're not, that, you know, when you talk about the media, right, it's the one thing they tell you that you shouldn't do. Um, you know, every year there's a, plethora of articles written because the S&P comes out with what they call their SPIVA report every year. And the SPIVA report tells you how many active fund managers outperform the index in a given year. And the purpose of that is to get you to buy a passive index fund. And the reason that, it, you know, that the analysis is heavily flawed is because of the way it's calculated. And, and this is the same thing that you see in mutual fund tear sheets, et cetera. Like over the last one, three, five, and 10 years, the fund has done this. Well, what that assumes is, is that you bought the fund in year one and have held it for three, five, and 10 years. If you bought it anywhere in between that period, your returns were vastly different. So that analysis is really very poor in terms of picking your investments. But in a, in, a, in a roaring bull market, and especially one that's been driven by so much liquidity as we've seen over the last you know, two years in particular between the federal government and the Federal Reserve, it's easy to form very bad habits. I can take on a lot of risk. Um, I don't have to really worry about downside too much. And markets just kind of keep going up. And so it's easy to start taking on a lot of risk in terms of buying companies that are, you know, grossly overvalued, have no fundamental value, you know, whatever it is. And the reason that that happens, of course, is because of human psychology, right? It's the, it's the greed factor. And so it's hard to develop good resolutions. And, and this is this is the, you know, this is the thing. You know, it's hard to develop good resolutions because good resolutions um, in terms of managing your portfolio require you to sacrifice almost in all cases. Think about it this way. I want to get in better shape. I'm, I'm overweight. Um, I'm unhealthy. I have high cholesterol. I have all these things. Okay, well, how did you get there? Well, because I was eating out every day and I was having steaks and hamburgers and pizza and uh, not exercising and watching a lot of television, you know, whatever it is, right? But it was easy to get to being very overweight and out of shape and unhealthy because we didn't have to do anything. All we had to do was just do all the things that we like, right? <laughs> I like eating hamburgers and steak and pizza. I like that. It's fun. It tastes great. Makes me feel good. It's not good for me. So getting into bad habits is easy because we get to do all the things that we like to get into bad habits. It's the problem is getting into good habits requires sacrifice. 
and learning to live without things and learning to do things differently requires work. And we don't like that. And that's why resolutions are very hard to stick to. But if we stick to them and we get into a good place, then it becomes a function of habit and it's easy. It's still not as fun as eating pizza and, and hamburgers, but it's, it's livable and doable and I can do it as a function of habit. And this is the problem with forming good resolutions. It requires sacrifice. We've got to be willing to do that. We've got to do the work. We didn't get overweight and out of shape and unhealthy overnight. We're not going to get back into shape and healthy overnight either. It's going to take just as long to get back, and it requires a lot of work. And when it comes to investing, it's the same structure. It requires work to develop good solutions and good habits. But, and again, we're, we're, and again, we're going to deviate from those habits, right? It, it doesn't matter how good of a, of, of a discipline that we have. We're eventually going to make a bad decision. We're eventually going to do the wrong thing. We're eventually going to slip back into an old way of doing something because of what's happening in the markets. And that's okay. Just you've got to get back onto track afterwards. You know, we've talked about our good friend Keith Klein here on the show a few times, um, who always had a great saying. He's like, build better bad habits. And what he means by that is, is, is that you can't change everything overnight. But if you have a bad habit, right? So, for instance, your habit is every day you have – I actually had a friend of mine that I used to work with many, many years ago. I owned a manufacturing company. And in that business, every day, one of the, the guys I worked with would go out and he would buy a Happy Meal, uh, McDonald's Happy Meal for lunch. That was his thing every day. And he'd take the toy and then he would drive by the construction site. And if there were any kids around or whatever, he'd give the toys to, to the kids. That was his thing every day. Well, as you can imagine, he wasn't in the best of shape. <laughs> and he wasn't that healthy. But you can make a better bad habit. That's his bad habit. Well, what could he do differently? Well, order the McDonald's Happy Meal without cheese, right? Start building a better bad habit. And that's the same thing when it comes to investing is that you have bad habits when you invest. Try to start building better bad habits. Try to do one thing better each time that you trade or invest money so that you have a better outcome in the future. You know, if you buy a stock, start adding stop losses to your portfolio. Start developing better risk management controls. And once you start building a small, better, bad habit, then it's easier to, to build on that bad habit, right? So I, I do one thing better on that bad habit, so now it's not as fattening or as bad for me as it was, and then I add another thing. So now I order the Happy Meal with no cheese and no mayo, right? So now I've got a dry hamburger with pickles and meat. But it's a better, bad habit. Eventually, I've got to wean myself off of the bad habit entirely. But I, I get there in time. Rather than trying to go cold turkey, and this is the problem with most investors, they try to do these things all at once, and then the market shifts on them. And they go, well, if I hadn't been doing that, I would have made more money. Yeah. And so they immediately go back to what they were doing before. Trying to go cold turkey on anything is very difficult. So try to do things very slowly. Take the resolutions, break them down, implement them one at a time.
you know, um, develop your own resolutions. These are just mine. You know, if you go to our daily commentary, if you didn't uh, hear earlier, so we're going through the resolutions in the last segment. They're on our website today under our daily market commentary. And I've also got it coming out in a more explanatory article on Friday as well. So if you go by our website, you'll be able to pick up the article on Friday. Um, but, you know, just make small steps, build better bad habits in your investing, and you'll have a better outcome longer term. And this is going to, and again, this is going to be, you know, much more valuable as we get into this year. As, as we talked about earlier, you know, this year is going to be challenging. We've got a lot of headwinds that are about now becoming tailwinds. Our article on our website today is talking about the, the risk of 2022. You know, slower economic growth, inflationary pressures are going to remain, you know, uh, more persistent early on, but then begin to fade later this year. Rising wage and input costs are going to pressure profit margins. Valuations are elevated. You know, just, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we had that were supporting the market over the last year are going to be changing. And again, so, you know, the things that were working last year may not work this year. Maybe this is the year that value value actually starts to outperform growth for a change. We haven't seen that in a while. Values really underperformed. Underperformed last year by a large margin. Growth has been kind of the consistent go-to. And this is why we see companies like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google. They've The, the top 10 stocks of the S&P have made up the vast majority of the gains in the S&P over the last year. And that kind of very narrow market breadth is something that is not healthy for the markets longer term. And it's something that we've only seen really near peaks of major bull markets. Now, I'm not saying that the market's about to crash and have a, a big bear market. I'm just saying the behavior is something that we haven't seen since 1999. Does that mean we're in a bubble? Who knows? There's lots of things that make up a bubble. Psychology is one of them. When we come back from the break, we'll wrap up the show. Uh, get by the website. Those resolutions are in our daily market commentary today. Just click on that link. Subscribe while you're there. We'll deliver the daily market commentary to you every morning at 7.30 a.m. sharp. Be in your email inbox. Our comments and thoughts about the markets for the day. Um, all on the website. Absolutely free, of course. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
Welcome back to the show this morning. Get ready to wrap it up as uh, we get through this Tuesday. Get ready for the markets to open this morning. Futures are slightly higher. Dow's up about 100 points following yesterday's rally. Market, as we talked about this morning at the open, is, you know, pretty overbought here. You know, we're pushing about two standard deviations above the 50-day moving average. And I know that's a lot of mumbo-jumbo and, you know, technical stuff. But all that means is, you know, prices can only move so far in one direction. So it's kind of like stretching a rubber band. I use this analogy a lot. And, you know, the markets right now, you've kind of stretched them as far as you can in one direction. And typically when we see this kind of this combined extension and overbought condition, you're going to get a correction of some sort, you know, two, three percent, you know, probably a pullback to the 50 day moving average. That was that was really the um, action all of last year. Uh, we would have this rally, the market would kind of flatten out, stumble around a little bit, crack back to the 50-day rally again. Um, so again, in the next you know two weeks, you know very likely the market can kind of hang around where it is, and then as we approach options expiration, kind of later this month, might see a correction back to the 50-day moving average, and we'll kind of you know step and repeat all over again. So you know, be a better opportunity um, potentially to allocate some capital. You know, to the markets, um, you know, wait for a little bit of a pullback or correction. A lot of the high flyers from last year early, um, particularly the, the stocks that are owned by like ARK Investments, have, have really tumbled um, lately. You know, the Pinterest, the Etsy's, the, the kind of the online disruptor stocks have tumbled a lot. So the question is, are those going to come back, right? Are they, are they just kind of consolidating gains and and going to have a, 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 a corrective action back to the upside, maybe. Um, we're not seeing signs of that just yet. Yesterday's market action was fairly weak. Uh, it was primarily driven by Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. I'm sorry, um, Amazon, Apple, uh, Google, and Tesla was the, primarily the, the, dragger, the, the winners yesterday. Um, energy stocks, which make up a very small percentage of the S&P, did well, and financials did well. Outside of that, there was kind of a lot of red within the rest of the market. So again, kind of that same action that we've seen here over the last several months is this market kind of rallying on very weak breadth. If you take a look at advanced decline lines, they're not improving much. 50-day uh, stocks above the 50-day, 200-day are still below previous highs, not really consistent with the market at all-time highs. But, you know, again, just that's been the action of the market for a while now. It's been fairly narrow. So again, that, that may change here. We'll see. Um, you know, cryptocurrencies have pulled back from recent highs. They're not, uh, you know, haven't been performing that great as of late. Certainly not keeping up with the speculative action of the markets. Uh, certainly not keeping up with inflation. You know, one of the interesting stories early this year is that Bitcoin was going to be the replacement for gold as an inflation hedge. That really hasn't worked out very well. But again, you know, that's... That asset class is now becoming worth watching because it's getting a more dominant position within the overall markets and, and overall analysis. So as a measure of risk appetite, it's definitely worth watching. But again, these are kind of the things that, you know, we we are watching, you know, as we get kind of into this new year. And again, right now, it's it's hard to take much of what's happening in the markets with any seriousness because it's just a lot of positioning. People that, you know, and mutual fund managers, hedge fund managers, portfolio managers, 
they need to have certain positions on their books so that when they issue out reports and they want to keep up with the market, I better own the stocks that are pacing the markets. Well, what's if I want to keep up with the S&P, how do I keep up with the S&P or potentially even beat it by the top 10 stocks of the S&P? What rallied yesterday? Apple, NVIDIA, Tesla, top 10 stocks of the S&P. So if I want to pace the S&P and I want to be in the game as a portfolio manager, as a mutual fund manager, I need to own those top 10 stocks or some form of them. I just have a personal bias against owning Facebook, even though it's going up. I just can't do it. Can't bring myself to do it. Not going not gonna to do it. <laughs> but, you know, I can make it up, I can make it up in other holdings. But that's the, these are the decisions that you have to make as a as a investment person, right? As, and if you're investing your own money and doing it your own way, that's great. Uh, that's why we built SimpleVisor.com, which gives you analysis at your fingertips. Um, you know, you can quickly scan for the top ten stocks that have the most momentum, uh, the most relative strength. You know, those are all kind of posted for you every day. So. The whole purpose of that site is to give you access to the same research that we use and building our portfolios. And you can track our portfolios there as well if you want. Simplevisor.com. It's easy. You know, but these are all things that as we talk about a new year, you know, and thinking about what's ahead, we're going to have to start making these broader decisions. And some of this is guesswork. Um, Byron Ween uh, over at BlackRock, he traditionally comes out with his top 10 kind of picks or his forecast for the year. And, you know, this is something that everybody does, right? We, we have, and I'm actually just trying to uh, get my mouse to work over here for some reason. I've lost control of my mouse. Um, oh, there it is. The, the issue ultimately is, is that we see a lot of people that make predictions, but again, these are predictions that, you know, ultimately are things that at the end of the day are just guesses. And, and we really have no idea, you know, on these guesses about how to do it. But, you know, you know, for instance, the combination, these are some of his, his predictions for 2022, the combination of strong earnings clashes with rising interest rates resulting in the S&P 500 making no progress this year. So in other words, the year ends about where it starts. That's kind of unusual considering that the most of Wall Street is predicting S&P 5000 to S&P 5500 by the end of the year. While prices of some commodities decline, wages and rents continue to rise and the CPI and other widely followed measures of inflation increase by 4.5% for the year. Persistent inflation. That's going to be a problem, but that goes back to the profit margin story. Um, if you take a look at the composition of earnings estimates, a large chunk of earnings growth this year is expected to come from expanded profit margins. So if you have rising persistent inflation, that is going to weigh on profit margins because it's going to reduce that, and that's going to reduce earnings growth. And if earnings growth slows, that's going to make valuations very hard to sustain at these current levels. The bond market begins to respond to rising inflation and tapering by the Federal Reserve. Ten-year Treasury yields rise to 2.75%. Now, having said that, he predicted that 
Treasury yields would rise to 2% last year and never even got close. So he'll probably be wrong on the bond front. In spite of the Omicron variant, sorry, I, mis I misread that. In spite of the Omicron variant, group meetings and convention gatherings return to pre-pandemic levels by the end of the year. That would be a good thing, by the way. If we want the economy to get back on track, we need to get back to doing what we do normally, right? We need to go back to the office. We need to go back to work. We need to go back to doing things and, you know, treat the, the, various, <laughs> the various variants of the virus like we do the various variants of the flu and move on with life. That's the only way that the economy is going to get back to normal. Chinese policymakers respond to recent turmoil in the country's property markets by curbing speculative investment in housing. Uh, Evergrande just had another blow. They built a big resort that had to get torn down because of it was built improperly. So they just took another big hit to the, the property markets. Now, this is something that we talked about on the show probably a decade ago um, when China was building these entire cities to replicate you know, New York and Los Angeles and China, and they were literally building housing complexes in two or three days, right? And they had whole cities that were built that were empty. Nobody was even living there. There's just massive development of housing. We said, this is eventually going to come to ruin, and that's exactly what's happening now. And everybody's acting surprised. It's like, surprise! No, not really. It's like Gomer Pyle. Surprise, surprise, surprise! Um, only old people get that joke. Anyway. The price of gold rallies by 20% to a record high. Don't doubt that. We'll see. Uh, gold did not have that good of a performance last year. Certainly did not pace inflation. We'll see if that uh, analysis changes this year. Major oil-producing countries conclude that high oil prices are speeding up the implementation of alternative energy programs and allow U.S. shell producers to become profitable again. <clears throat> These countries can increase production enough to meet demand. The price of West Texas crude can uh, rises above $100 a barrel. Um, you know, this is the, the whole conundrum, I guess, or, or funny thing about alternative energy is that it actually spokes more use of energy from oil production. <laughs> figure it, go figure it out. Um, Nuclear alternative for power generation actually enters the arena. Actually, that's actually occurring right now. Uh, the EU, yesterday we saw uh, shares of uranium stocks go up sharply as the EU is starting to actually consider nuclear power plants because their alternative sources of energy are not keeping up with power needs. Uh, wind and solar is great until you actually need power. Uh, ESG evolves beyond corporate policy statements and as government agencies develop and enforce new regulatory environments. And in a setback to the green energy program, this is actually one that will probably be true. Uh, in a setback to the green energy program, the U.S. finds it cannot buy enough lithium batteries to power the electric vehicles planned. And China controls all the lithium. So there you have the upcoming basis of World War III. Oh, the last part was mine. Anyway, have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow for Wednesday's edition. Danny Ratliff will join me. We'll get into some of the other topics that involve you and your money, of course. As always, stick around. Chris Salcedo coming right up here after me. And have a great day. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions, comments, emails. Let us know what we can do for you. Also, uh, get our daily commentary with our investor resolutions for the year that's on the website right now it's absolutely free of course realinvestmentadvice.com we'll see you back here tomorrow
It's a rich man's world